You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe. If you're just joining us, where you been? Jake's fired up. Yeah, it's been a good show. We've had a lot of football talk. All right, uh, Gus, I think he's got something he's tied up this morning. We'll, we'll make an effort to get back with him in a second. Uh, how about this story out in New Orleans this morning? Saints defensive lineman Mitchell Lowen helped a man rescue helped rescue a man from a car that crashed down from the fourth story of a parking structure. Lowen was having brunch with his wife and his son at a New Orleans restaurant when he rushed into action on Sunday. He was the first person who walked up to the SUV, which had landed upside down, and he found a man screaming in pain and pinned inside his vehicle. Lowen said others quickly joined him, and since they couldn't pull the man out of the position, they went ahead and flipped the car over. First onto its side, then all the way to its tires. After another bystander crawled into the car to check on the man and unlatch a back door, Lowen said he pried the door open so they could speak to the man while waiting for emergency workers is that that's probably a big no-no though right if the guy had a neck injury you wouldn't want to move him well there was a lot of different factors they're worrying about uh falling concrete after he goes from the fourth floor of a parking garage it was still falling they were worried about that and of course they're worried about gasoline spilling out and a potential yeah, fire true man what uh, a scary situation low in a third year undrafted pro from Arkansas, he's listed at six foot five, two hundred seventy-five pounds, which is important to this story. Strong guy, <laughs> yeah. a guy who can flip a car. Yes, he says it was life-changing, man. I was talking to my wife about this. There's not many moments that your heart pumps like this in your life. I'd say giving life, saving life, taking life, or risking life are about the only time your heart's going to beat that fast. There's not many things that you can do that you just get that feeling. You just get after something like that, I mean. I feel like I was in a movie. At the time, I had extreme confidence. I had hesitation about all of what needed to be done. It was just that kind of feeling, the adrenaline pumping. I mean, that's life to the fullest right there. I feel like I was being led by God to help that man out. Hmm. Lowen went on to say it was unreal that I was there at that moment trying to help out, to lead others to help out as well and others being willing to help out because I definitely couldn't have done it by myself. This was not a act solely on me, Lowen went on to say. That was a lot of grown men working together for one purpose, to save one man that no one knew at the moment. We had no interest in this man's life except to save him. Mercedes SUV, go, uh, SUV going over top of a fourth-story parking structure for some reason around 1.30 yesterday. Investigation. The accident remains under investigation. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I believe Gus joins us on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline. Gus, what's going on, bud? What's going on, man? man? How you doing? Good. Hey, we were just telling the story. I don't know if you've seen it yet or not. Uh, defensive lineman uh, Mitchell Lowen and what happened down in New Orleans with yeah. the parking garage. Man, how incredible is this? I got a number of questions. First of all, how many parking garages are down there in the four uh, stories that don't have uh, barriers? Yeah, that, that was the first thing that, that I thought about, too, that you don't have a barrier. Um, 
Dude, as you know, though, in the city area or something like that, parking is so limited that you're starting yeah. to see a lot of these places. I mean, even um, the World War II Museum just built a, a brand-new multi-story garage for parking itself, you know, to add to the amount of visitors that come there and stuff. But, yeah, man, so you're seeing a lot of places, and there are a lot of places that were empty buildings that have been kind of hollowed out and made into parking garages and um, I don't know specifically which one that is, but you can walk past some, uh, just uh, to go to go get some beverages one day or whatever, and you'll, you'll see what used to look like basically an apartment building or a business building hollowed out. And you just have like um, like flatbed truck sort of things that are like two or three stories that they got some cars in and things that need to sell. Not, not everywhere where you park downtown has the, you know, the standard parking garage sort of thing that I guess you're accustomed to a lot of places. But, yeah, dude, that, that is so crazy that, A, you know, no one else was injured and, you know, Mitchell Owen being there at the right place at the right time. But, dude, the odds that that car just falls onto the ground and no, nobody else there, nobody's walking to work, nobody nobody else is driving on that street is incredible. Yeah, incredible. Hey, uh, NOLA.com continues to do a countdown of the best players on the Saints roster they are down in number five. They have Elvin Kamara at number five, which probably says a lot about this team's roster, the fact that they have four players ranked ahead of them. But if he has a season where he's the fifth best Saint, uh, I guess that's got to bode pretty well for the franchise, correct? Yeah, no, I, look, I'll say this. Um, you know, Aaron, right now we're in the season of lists, right, where everybody's putting out interesting lists, funny lists, uh, silly lists. I saw yesterday there was, uh, I was making fun of one where, you know, Tom Brady's catch rating is higher than Nick Foles' and Madden. I'm like, geez, and Pete, this is where we are. So, I mean, it's, you know, we're, 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 we're getting ready for, you know, the season to start and, and actually legit storylines. But I don't know if I'm, I, I, I don't know if it's a man crush. I don't know if I'm, you know, nuts, but I think Alvin Kamara is the second best player on this team. And, you know, you can make the case and argument for Michael Thomas. You can make the case and argument, obviously, for Cam Jordan. I get it. You know, he's played only one year. But one of the lists that I saw yesterday or this morning put up there uh, was the top tw- the starting lineup for players under 25. And at running back, that's Saquon Barkley, who's never carried the ball in, in the NFL just yet. He may be great. I don't know. But um, you, you saw offensive lineman and Andre Heath, Ryan Ramsey, Marshawn Lattimore's out there. They didn't go with Michael Thomas at receiver, which is ridiculous. But the thing is this, you have legitimately, like I've been saying, close to a half dozen players that are either in their second or third year that are cornerstones, are foundational pieces to this football team. And the reason I keep saying Kamara is true, and I have the love for him, is he's a transitional player, that a transcending player, that I think other than Saints fans will come to embrace and love and watch and follow and buy jerseys and you know i mean this guy is so marketable already man he's got a great personality i can totally see if he has another exciting season the marketing increase for him nationally can you not see him i mean if you watch him on twitter or something like that some of these things already have him doing like when he's drinking tea and he looks all prim and proper you know just i mean you can just imagine he has like the peyton manning sort of thing i guess what i'm getting at is that 
I could see him endorsing products or doing these funny spots and commercials. He's got that personality. And he's electrifying to watch. Anytime he touches the ball, you can have an exciting touchdown of 70, 80 yards, 50 yards, 40 yards, whatever. And, and that's why, to me, I'm like, dude, this, this guy, to me, I think, that could be completely wrong. But he could be the face of this team. Because it has been Pam Jordan, hasn't it? I mean, he's been the second-best player to this team. He was an all-pro guy last year and stuff. And, but unless you cover the face, like you're just starting to maybe some people mention him and, and things like that. She's got great personality and all that. But naturally, look, it is what it is. Even Marshawn Lattimore said um, during a camp interview last week when he and Alvin Kamara are doing it's like Alvin Kamara is a superstar. Everyone loves offense rather than defense. The offensive guys get the most love. Naturally, they get the most love by fans. So I think when you look at Alvin Kamara, if he has a season like he had last year, and when you look at the weapons the Saints have this season where you really can't double Alvin or you can't really stack the box and he's going to be in open space, dude, I, I just see him taking that next level and that next gen and even have the potential. Again, I, I'm forecasting and I'm playing future games here, but, you know, Drew is just because he's about to maybe pass Peyton Manning, but he's just getting in the conversation nationally, you know, not rightfully. I mean, we've been seeing this guy as a Hall of Fame quarterback, but it really has only been the last two years where you hear people go, hey, first ballot Hall of Fame or stuff like that. You would never hear Drew Brees in the top three or top five category conversation with quarterbacks in the league, and it would frustrate Saints fans and frustrate people on the team when he was having his prime in 2009, 2011. No one ever talked about it. You know, it was all their Manning or Brees and you know, Brady or Rogers, not Brees. So now you now you're hearing that a longevity wise, but you're starting to see that. But I think with Kamara, I mean they're already talk about him as one of the top players. I mean he debuted at number twenty in the number you know the NFL top one hundred players. So he's already garnered the respect of the league. And if he has another season like he had last year, I just think to me he has that potential to where people will consider him the second best and not the best player on this team moving forward in the future, if that makes sense. All right, Gus, so final question. We understand you have a man crush on Alvin Kamara, but if you were <laughs> representing him, would you tell him to lose the nose ring? Does that help him or hurt him in terms of marketing? Say that again? Does he, If you were representing him and trying right, to right. give him advice, mm-hmm. should he lose the nose ring? I, I think it helps him. I think in this day really? and age, it's hard to find somebody who doesn't have piercings or ink, right? I mean, my lion. <laughs> So, yeah. I, I think I think it helps them to be honest with you. You can certainly do some fun with uh, the commercials, as you said. You can make them prim and proper, and then of course, dude, uh, totally, man. Those. Just but yeah. anything. I mean, just everything. I, like I said, I could see him endorsing anything, man. It's just, um, and he's just got a great personality. He really, honestly, does. I know you continue to count down to kickoff. Uh, where can we find you later this afternoon? Twelve to three. Uh, I'll be on from. Uh, on ESPN New Orleans, you can find me over at the TuneIn Radio app, and then uh, you know, join us online at ESPN Radio Nola and chime in on any of the poll questions we have. Thank you, Gus. Yep, thank you. Gus Cattingill from ESPN New Orleans. Man, that is quite a man crush, huh? Uh, but I get it. He is dynamic. dynamic. He is fun to watch. He is. I get it, for sure. And the workload, you would think, is has to increase in the first four games. Oh, brother. <laughs> That's going to be our, our new little uh, saying, because... We've already talked about that a lot. How many touches will he get? Uh, I'm, can they can they afford to give it to him too much without yeah. him getting injured? Yeah. But you got to win. You got to win. Yeah. yeah.
888-993-7762. We'll talk some more uh, college football coming up after the break. You're welcome to join the conversation on the Stuart Shelby Goosehead Insurance Hotline slash text line. Go to StuartShelby.com for a free quote. See how the power of choice can save you money on home and auto insurance. We're back at this. All right, Jake, uh, before we get to some more college football news, and I'm sure you'll twist this whatever way you want. Yesterday you had uh, you wanted me to do some homework. Yeah. World Cup ratings, correct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I was talking about the fact that they were going to be pretty good, and, of course, you can make comparisons to the NBA playoffs. Not the finals, but the playoffs, with the number of viewers that watch the World Cup. Okay. I mean, Even with the World Cup in Russia, and, of course, the problems with the time zones and the fact that you're watching the games at 10 a.m. and 1 o'clock. Don't compare a finals game to a playoff game, then. Okay. Why don't you give me a rating for a I don't know, a quarterfinal game or something. Well, now you're changing my homework. But anyway, France uh, versus Croatia, the World Cup final earned an 8.3 overnight rating on Fox on Sunday morning. That was actually down uh, 14% from Germany and Argentina in 2014, down another uh, 3% from Spain and the Netherlands in 2010, which both also aired on ABC. So the numbers were down a little bit, but you're still looking at a pretty good rating for a Sunday morning. You wanted to make the comparisons to what that would be compared to the NBA Finals. All right, well, let's let's forget the Finals then. All right, well, I have to do some more research on that. No, I got it right here. Okay, well, just to compare it to the Finals, a 9.4 rating for the World Cup Finals in 2018. The average on ABC was a 10.4. I thought you said 8.4, not 9.4. 9.4. Well, did I say 9.4? You said 9.4, but I thought it was 8.4. 8.3, yeah. You're yeah, you're trying to <laughs> skew this thing. Look I at picked you. up another radio. Yeah. All right, 8.3. So the NBA Finals uh, had a 10.4. What does that mean? Uh, that literally means 17.85 million viewers in the United States. Okay. So if you want to compare to a – let's do the Western Conference Finals. Game one drew 8.8. All right. Okay. So – I just think it's kind of silly. In prime time. Yeah, but, but you're, you're talking about how this all came from you were like, I can't believe you didn't watch the World Cup. You, you missed out on expanding your horizons, and I combated that by saying, that's that's like me coming back and saying, I can't believe you didn't watch uh, the UFC event yeah. this last. And you said, well, the world was watching. And I wasn't going to pay. It was free. You pay in some in some way or another. Yeah. You pay for cable, right? <laughs> I got an antenna. Oh, okay. Good, <laughs> Rabbit ears. Good for you. Uh, so anyway, that's how, that's how that came about. Just the fact that well, the world was watching. Clearly, the world wasn't watching. Uh, bottom line is, I would say in the United States, considering the time and, of course, uh, being on a Sunday at 10 a.m., that's a pretty solid rating. They should be happy it's with not that. Not bad. Yeah. Not bad. Yeah. That's, all, that's all I'm saying. It's not NBA or, or NFL, but not bad. Mm-hmm. Well, you get the United States in a World Cup final. You want to see what that rating would be? Okay, that that would be different. Yeah. <laughs> and I would watch that. I would watch that. All right, what you are going to watch in the fall is a lot of SEC football. Media Day continues to roll along in Atlanta. Day two has uh, Kirby Smart. I think he is up to the mic as we speak. What can we anticipate from Georgia's head coach? Oh, man, a lot of national championship questions, yeah. a lot of uh, – what was it, second and 26 questions, uh, which I'm sure he's filled now. I'm talking about the secondary has got to be better. But, uh, yeah, I mean, 
really, if you're Georgia, the storylines heading into the year really revolve around the quarterback position. Mm-hmm. Who's going to start? I think we all assume Jake Fromm's going to start, even though he did injure his, his left hand, which Mark – I mean, Kirby Smart has already talked about that being insignificant. But uh, I still expect him to start, but a lot of people love Justin Fields and what he can do as far as you know pure passing ability. And a lot of people gawk at that, but they fail to realize that Jake Fromm played in the toughest league in college football and led Georgia to a national championship appearance. So I don't Three think for twenty six hundred yards, twenty four touchdowns, and just seven interceptions as a freshman. Yeah, he's you could lay you could put that nasty label game manager on him, but I take I'll take a game manager all day. I was happy with a less talented game manager in Danny Etling with LSU, right? I mean, there that's not a bad thing. If a guy can take care of the football and distribute it efficiently, and sometimes that wasn't always the case with Etling, but for the most part, I, you know, I think that's a win at the quarterback position. From And the fact he can just turn around and hand it off to DeAndre Swift. Well, yeah, but Justin Fields can do that too. But I'm just saying, you know, as far if you're comparing both quarterbacks, I think Fromm had proved that he had the poise as a freshman. You only expect him to get more comfortable as a sophomore. So I don't, I don't know. I think a lot of the the media is, is making this uh, a bigger issue than than what it will be. Now, if Fromm comes out and struggles early, yeah, you're going to see some fields. But uh, I think Georgia would be smart to play Fromm and, and keep him as a starter. Also today, have uh, two new coaches. I, I say new, and, and I use that with kind of a quote. Or, you say three, really. Well, Dan Mullen, of course, uh, making his way to SEC Media Days. He's very familiar with it, but, of course, he has found a new home. Arkansas has Chad Morris and Ole Miss, Matt Luke. Mm. You know, he's now the official coach. So you could, you know, you can twist those words however you want it. But with, as far as Dan Mullen goes, it's – I'm less entertained by him at Florida at these SEC media days as I was with him at State. You just wanted more McElwain. No, no, no. Remember how much fun we had with him last year? The last thing I wanted or want is more McElwain, (laughs) Aaron. I'm just saying when he was at Mississippi State, you could always look forward to But you remember how much cool it was last year with the shark and all that whole conversation? (laughs) (laughs) And how he couldn't have any fun with it? Oh, yeah, so good. Like it hit too close to home? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he handled that. Whoever, he needed a PR guy. Yeah. He needed, if you can't make the fun SID of should have met with him yeah. every day and said, listen. We know it wasn't you, but just have some fun with it. Have some fun with it. Also, Unless it was you. Also, <laughs> <laughs> even if it was you, have fun with it. Make him think it wasn't you. It was clearly him. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, but I, my point was, Mullen with Mississippi State was always fun because he would take barbs at Ole Miss. Like he would, yeah. you know, he would throw Ole Miss under the bus. He would make a couple of uh, little, even if you didn't catch it, he would throw some 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 little barbs here and there. What is he going to do at Florida? Is he going to try to do that with Georgia? No, <laughs> doubt it. Um, so I mean, it, it makes no sense to even try to do it with Florida State at SC Media Day. So anyway, I I don't expect it to be very entertaining. As far as Mullen goes, Chad Morris, go ahead, Aaron. Yeah, take he's going to turn on the charm. Yeah, take it away. The Chad Morris show is going to dominate today. Okay. You're not buying it. No, I, I just, what does he have to talk about? He's taking over and changing the culture of the Razorbacks. That's compelling stuff. I'm yeah. going to tune in to, to, to catch that. 
Uh, and also, you know, his days uh, coaching in Texas high school football. <laughs> it always goes back to that, right? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, overall, let's look at the rest of this, this list. I mean, who who are you most anxious to hear from? I want to hear from Saban, and I want to hear from him talking about. All right, so Saban always has to pound the podium, and he comes in on his soapbox, and he's going to have one thing, of course, college football-related, big picture that he wants changed. I yep. wonder what this year it'll be. Uh, is it going to be revolved around the betting? Yeah. You know, I mean, is it, I, I want to hear someone ask him, Coach, how are you prepared to to give, you know, weekly updates on your injury reports and your availability yeah. reports? I, I'm sure he's going to be very uh, upset to, to have to give that every week. But, you know, in, in terms of, of saving, what he'll do is, like you said, he'll have one agenda. He'll get that across. And then at the end, this is the only time he does this. No, this is where it's going to get good. How, how testy will he get when he's pressed on the quarterback situation? Yeah. Well, here's the thing, Aaron. We know in that main media room, you remember, was it last year or two years ago when one of the ESPN SEC guys did the did the chicken? Because I can't remember. Something happened. Oh, it was with the – I'm blanking here. The players that got in trouble before the season in Monroe. Oh, Hootie and Camp. Hootie and Camp. Um, because remember before that, and, and no one asked about it mm. in the media room. And the SEC, I can't remember who it was, but they started going bah, 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 mm. as they were going to the commercial. And it, it was on air. He didn't mean for it to be on air, but he was making fun of the media for not asking him. Then he comes on set and Paul Feinbaum actually grilled him and they got into it remember that oh yeah so my i say that to to bring this up the fact that they'll probably ask once about tua and jalen and then he'll show that he he doesn't have a lot of patience for that question and then then no one else will ask the question it would be interesting if they kept pressing him on it but they won't do that because one thousand chickens one thousand chickens he's king saving they won't do it so anyway um but what I was getting to, at the very end, he'll do this, and this is the only time he does it, once a year. He'll thank the media for what they do, tell them they do a great job. They're very important. <laughs> That's the one time a year he does it at SC Media Days. I guarantee you at the end he'll do it. He'll have, like, this fake smile on his face, and he'll grab his, his Coke bottle and, and head on. 888-993-7762, SEC Media Days. Continue to roll along in Atlanta. And, of course, uh, Conference USA Media Days. We look forward to that. Of course, this week over in Dallas. Yes, indeed. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, we're going to talk a little Major League Baseball. I hope you're not talking about it. It'll be a short segment. <laughs> Astros. You want to get from the Astros up there? What we do is we bring in experts. That's right. Jason Pugh is one of those experts. Thankfully. This guy knows MLB like no other. He joins us after the break. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. Aaron and Jake hanging out here in the Caldwell Banker Group 1 Realty Studio in West Monroe. John Tabor doing a fine job back at the Sports Talk 97.7 headquarters in Ruston. Dialing up all the right numbers, including the number of Jason Pugh. He wears many hats. He's a journalist. He's Northwestern State Sports Information. He's an MLB fan. He's a baseball historian. And he's a guest on our show. Jason Pugh, how are you doing this morning, bud? I'm good, Aaron, and I appreciate the last one more, uh, the last description more than any. Baseball historian, really? You you like that? No, no, no. The, the, the guest on the uh, the morning drive. Oh, okay. Oh, yes, correct. <laughs> Jason, <laughs> all right, I want to talk some MLB with you. Uh, first of all, home run derby last night. My buddy Jake over here, he was all in. 
says it was compelling TV. That's as good as it gets. What says you? I, I really enjoyed it. I think uh, I think anytime you have a hometown guy, we saw it in 2015 with Todd Frazier when he won it in Cincinnati, and of course he doesn't have nearly the star power that Bryce Harper does. And I think it was just it, it was compelling. I think that's a great word to use. A lot of fun to see those guys cut loose and kind of be a kid. I read something from uh, Jeff Passan on Yahoo this morning, and uh, that's a guy who's done a really good job covering MLB for the past 10, 12 years. Really, really good stuff. You can follow him on Twitter or read his stuff. But uh, Harper talked about kind of being that that's kind of the, the kid you've seen grow up when he was 11 and won a home run derby in Cooperstown, and when he was 15 hitting balls uh, 500 feet at Tropicana Field. I think that's the kind of face that. MLB needs. They don't need the Bryce Harper that uh, got onto a reporter several years ago and saying that was a clown question, bro. That's that's the kind of face. MLB is looking for one of these guys they can promote like a, like a LeBron, like a, uh, whoever you want to say the face of the uh, NFL would be, whether it's a guy like Odell Beckham who's got a ton of po- uh, personality or an Aaron Rodgers or a Tom Brady. Baseball needs that kind of guy, and I think that what we saw in the, the three or four hours of the home run derby last night, that's the Bryce Harper MLB needs to find. And MLB needs to market. And MLB needs to find a way to bring out over 152 games. We have reached the halfway point, or at least the all-star break. What are the top storylines that you're tracking? I think if you look at the NL East, I think the surprising runs of the Braves and the Phillies, I think that's a, that's a pretty good story. I think the Dodgers coming from, Ten under 500 to uh, to lead the West at the break and to have four teams within uh, three or four games of each other out there. Now it hasn't been great baseball uh, in terms of wins and losses, but it'll be compelling down the stretch. I think the Red Sox and Yankees. Uh, we got a little fatigued with that probably about 15, 16 years ago when they met a couple of times in the ALCS. The remarkable 2003 and 2004 ALCSs. Uh, of course, the Red Sox winning at no four. And full disclosure, I have a graduate degree from UMass, so I'm, I'm uh, obligated to mention the Red Sox as much as possible. Uh, but what they've done, uh, them and the Yankees, I think they're headed for another uh, remarkable uh, run down the stretch. Can Cleveland uh, pick up some of the pieces from last year in its bullpen? The emergence of guys like Mookie Betts in Boston, and of course the continued greatness that no one sees of Mike Trouton out in L.A. because most people are in bed by 9 o'clock when his games start. So a lot of good storylines that MLB's got some momentum. Uh, they've got to find a way uh, not to fritter it away, and I think that means you know probably having some checks and balances on Commissioner Rob Manfred, some of the things he's put out there. Hmm. Otani, where does that rank as a storyline considering the up-and-down uh, season that he's had, of course, the injury, but what he continues to do now at the plate? Yeah, I think that's, uh, again, it kind of falls. Uh, nationally, it's been a big story. I think if you're kind of a casual fan or if you're a fan of the Astros or the Rangers or a team that's not out on the West Coast, or if you're not on the West Coast, I think it's gotten lost a little bit. And I think the injury has something to do with that. If he were still pitching every six days and hitting uh, in the lineup as the DH, I think you hear a lot more about him. But I think the Angels, their struggles, I think, uh, his injury, I think it's kind of tampered a little bit, uh, tampered down some of the expectations and some of the coverage. But I think had he been able to do what he did for the first month, I think he'd probably have a little uh, a little fatigue from hearing about Shoei Otani. Mm. Uh, you got a unique perspective. I call you an East Coast guy, but heck, you've been down here so long that I think we should probably you probably have lost that title. 
you know how important Major League Baseball is up there. What is the difference, fan-wise, growing up there compared to perhaps in the South with Major League Baseball? Uh, it's simply if you look at it, Aaron. I think it's it's supply and demand in a sense that if you grew up in New England or if you grew up on the Northeast, you got the Yankees, you've got the Mets, you've got the Red Sox, you've got uh, the Phillies. Now down when you added uh, the, the Nationals uh, 13 years ago in 2005, uh, within four hours or so, if you live somewhere in that uh, giant, massive community, the Orioles are in there. It, it matters. Pro sports matters up there to the larger markets and, and even some of the, you know, kind of the medium-sized markets. I don't want to call Baltimore a small market by any stretch, but uh, it's small compared to Boston and New York. But those those markets, they, they care about professional sports the way that we here in the South care about college sports. The, and I can tell you this story from when we were in grad school. It was uh, the fall of 2013. Oklahoma and Baylor were playing on a Thursday night. Uh, Oregon and someone out west, I believe it was Arizona, playing on a Thursday night. We went out uh, with some, some grad students, uh, some of my classmates. We had a little Thursday night gathering. We'd always go. We went and ate some wings, and we looked around, and it's game three of the hockey season. And there's nothing but Boston Bruins games on the TVs. I, we had to beg for the one little TV in the corner uh, to, to put on Oklahoma and Baylor, which at the time was a, was a top 15 showdown in college football. It just showed to me that college sports mean so much less up there and pro sports mean so much more, and it's kind of inversed here in the South. Uh, we have adopted the Houston Astros as our team this summer. The viewers kind of voted on it. You're a little bit farther south there in Natchitoches. How do you think it weighs out with the Rangers and the Astros down there or in this state? I would think without, you know, when, when the Shreveport captains uh, went away several years ago, uh, you, you lost a tie to your, really your one major league team here in the northwest part of the state. You are about equidistant in Natchitoches. It's about roughly four hours to the ballpark in Arlington. It's roughly about four hours to Minute Maid Park. So you're you're – you should be more of a split market, and I'm sure probably five to seven years ago it was pretty Rangers-heavy, and right now it's it's gotten to be a, a lot more Astros. You have a, a good helping of St. Louis Cardinal fans, which I think goes back. When you're in a community where the demographics skew a little bit older, yes, Natchitoches is a college town, but also has a lot of retirees. Uh, I'm sure when you grew up here, you heard, uh, you heard KMOX on a good clear night out of St. Louis when radio was king, so... You heard all the Cardinals, and, and that just kind of gets passed down from generation to generation. So uh, the Cardinals and Astros, I would say, are probably the, the top two teams. The Rangers probably float in there some, and again, I think a lot of it has to do with proximity to both Boston, uh, rather to both Houston and uh, Tarleton. Got a text here on the text line. Ben asked, let's hear Pew's thoughts on the flair that Cubs second baseman Javi Baez plays with. Is it good for the game? I, I think it's whether it's good or not is, is obviously it's a matter of uh, what you think, what Ben thinks, what, what Aaron thinks. I think it's all in the eye of the beholder. I think you better get used to it. I think more of it's coming, I think, with the continued rise in terms of the, the Latin population. I think one of my bucket list things as a baseball fan would be to go down to the Caribbean series, uh, whether it's in Puerto Rico, the Dominican down there, and just watch those games. You can see it when the World Baseball Classic comes around. Those those teams, those players, they play with a lot of emotion. They wear their emotion on the sleeve, their sleeves. It's not, you know, you struck somebody out, you go low five somebody, step across the line, go to the dugout. You know, you, you hit a home run. You don't 
always have to quote unquote pimp it, but I mean, you, you celebrated it's an accomplishment. I still love from from the WBC last year the play where uh, Yade Molina throws down to Baez at second, and Baez is pointing at Molina as the ball is coming to him, and he catches it and does the no look tag all in one motion. I thought that was spectacular, and I think if you take that away and you try to make some of those guys robots, you lose a lot of the personality and a lot of the, the flair. And I think you know talked about some of the things that, that Commissioner Manfred wants to do, and he's trying to you know bring the game a little bit into a younger audience. And I think if you, you let those guys play and you have a little fun with it, you, you kind of peel back some of the quote-unquote unwritten rules and some of the archaic uh, ways of policing the game. I think they're going to continue to attract some of those young fans and, and let them enjoy the game and enjoy some of these guys that you want to market. You want to make sure you have a face because the next time the labor negotiations roll around in the next couple of years, don't know if it's going to be as smooth as it's been the last couple of times. You want to have some goodwill built up just in case the worst-case scenario happens. Uh, Jason, we have this conversation, it seems like, every year, and everybody wants to talk about the state of the game as we head into this all-star break. Where do you think the game stands right now? I think it's got a chance, really, to, to make up some momentum. I think the NFL, uh, while it's still king in terms of numbers, I think that the, the people are really have been turned off in the last 12 months uh, because of the stuff that's gone on. Uh, in the political arena involving the game, I think if MLB is smart, they can kind of fill that vacuum. Uh, you look at a place like San Diego, if the Padres were doing better, that's, that's a perfect example of a market that now has one professional team. It's the only MLB-only market in, uh, I believe, in North America because the, the Blue Jays obviously have, or Toronto has the Raptors and the Maple Leafs. But there are vacuums, there are fans. Uh, that, that want to find something to watch, that want to find something to do. And if you find a way to market to that younger demographic, to build your fans, and yet you've got to balance it out because there are people my age that are pushing 40 uh, that still love the game and you know, kind of feel like you're in between. They're trying to phase out, you know, maybe some of the older fans or not care about. I, I'm a traditionalist at heart. I don't care about taking play. Uh, uh, does it get long? I've got an Astros A's game last week that took three and a half hours because every time you looked up, it was a 3-2 count. But they're doing some things to, slow, to, to speed the game up. The mound visits uh, are being cut down. They're trying to find ways to appease everybody, and I think that's a smart thing. I think they're they're on the right path. I think when it gets down to it, the next labor uh, negotiation, which I believe comes after the 2020 season, the next season or the season after, uh, I think if they can build some momentum between the players and the owners, smooth out some things. And uh, you can't forget about the minor leaguers. They have a suit right now trying to raise their pay. So public opinion, uh, probably in the next 24 to 36 months, is going to be very important for Major League Baseball when it looks forward. Hmm. Jason Pugh, final question. Of course, uh, down at Northwestern State, how's my guy uh, Brad Laird doing? You're not going to find anyone better. I know I don't have to tell you that uh, as much as you guys dealt with him at Ruston, as much as I dealt with him here as a defensive coordinator, and then at Ruston High, uh, he, he's tremendous. Uh, you guys know that. Uh, there's a lot of energy and a lot of excitement. Uh, we'll actually be down in Houston on Thursday for Media Day. Uh, South Conference Media Day gets going Thursday, which means football season is literally right around the corner. But uh, it's been a it's been a joy and a pleasure to have Brad here for the past uh, almost two years now, and can't wait to see what he has uh, in store for the Demons, and 
September 8th will be a, be a good one. When Grambling comes here, it'll be his first home game as head coach, of course. Demons open with Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher's first game as an Aggie on uh, August 30th. That's on the SEC Network. And a couple of really neat uh, first games there for Brad. First game against Jimbo and then first uh, home game against Grambling. And uh, yet another wonderful human being as a head coach in Broderick Fobbs. Awesome. Thank you, Jason Pugh. You're the best, bud. Thanks. Appreciate you guys. Anytime. Take care. Good stuff. Even though it sounded like he was in a vacuum for the last uh, two and a half minutes. <laughs> hey, have you ever asked a dumb question? All the time, every morning. Okay, well, somebody just asked Kirby Smart a really dumb question. Oh, please tell. Someone just asked Kirby his thoughts on how stacked Georgia is at quarterback with Fromm, Fields, and Eason. <laughs> Eason transferred. <laughs> Saturday Down South tweeted this out and said, thinking of following up with his thoughts on the backfield of Chubb, Michelle, and Herschel. Well, please. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, How did he he respond? I don't know. I I don't have that information, but I'm sure he probably tried. I don't know. He might have embarrassed the guy. But if I'm I'm on, and I've done that before. I've gone to a couple SC Media Days, and you know it's televised. I thoroughly check my questions, make sure there's not something stupid in there like that I'm overlooking. But, uh, yeah, pretty embarrassing. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. In front of the whole yeah, media yeah, yeah. congregation. Uh-huh. All national television, SC Network. Yeah. Uh, I think the most embarrassing mistake, and I've had a, a number of them. So I've told this story before. I was, of course, going to the Harvard of the South in uh, San Marcos, and they had one of these big celebrity golf tournaments like we saw in Lake Tahoe over the weekend. And they were doing one up in uh, Barton Creek uh, there at the golf course in Austin. number of big stars there. So, you know, I had a little radio show there on our college uh, station, literally spanned about uh, maybe a mile or two where people could actually hear it. Well, anyway, I had a little tape recorder, so I thought, oh, this is going to be a great opportunity. So I go to the golf course, and I'm interviewing all these people. Got Johnny Bench and a number of others. Jim McMahon was there. So it was pretty cool, and there was literally no media there. So I had full access, and I'm sure they looked at me and like, who is this kid with this little tape recorder? But all of them were fantastic with me. So I'm getting inside the ropes, and I'm doing these interviews, and, you know, I'm nervous as hell. And I walk up to Mike Schmidt, and I'm doing the interview, and I'm getting some good stuff from I think. And then I asked him some question about the number of home runs that he hit. Well, I basically shortchanged him 200 home runs in his career. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm there, and I asked some question about home runs. You know, it was 300 and some home runs. Well, you know, he had like 500. Now I know 548. Well, I just and, and then he called me out on it. And the worst part was there were some bozos, some schmoes, you know. And they were looking at me like, why is he inside the ropes? How is he getting this access to talk to the uh-huh. likes of Mike Schmidt? So then they heard me ask the question, and they started giggling, and they started cackling, and, of course, Schmidt, you know, kind of talked down to me, and rightfully so. So then I just wanted to, you know, just tuck my head between my knees and just get out of there because I was embarrassed. But right. I stuck it out, and I kept trying to do interviews. And, you know, there'd be another player to come up, and some wise guy in the crowd would say, you're going to ask him about this and that, you know, so – I'll never forget it. And, you know, it was a good learning experience, but just a bad question, bad facts. You get rattled. You get, you know, a little wound up. And then, of course, you do it in a couple in front of a couple people that hear it. That doesn't help. Yeah. I can't imagine being in a room like that.
like that SEC media days. I'm sure that he or she now just wants to leave Atlanta as quick as possible. Yeah, I'm sure. And, you know, I remember at SEC media days, I um, I asked Les Miles something about – I mentioned this other something about Tyron Matthew and something about Twitter. Yeah. And this was before, you know, I, I dealt with him on a regular basis, but, you know, he, he didn't know me. And I asked that question, man, he – I'm telling you, the clip that he gave me, ESPN ran on repeat because it was one of those classic huh. Les Miles. But it was all because he was mad because I asked. He's like, "Why are you asking about Twitter?" Yeah, yeah. So I, I remember that. I, I felt like an idiot then. Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. The morning drive on Sports Talk ninety seven seven. Back after this. Welcome back to the show. As always, we end the show with our parting shots. We got it, baby! We got it! We got it! Woo! Congratulations. Um, Congratulations. I lost. You lost? Yes. Oh, okay. You can have your $500 million jackpot in Powerball or whatever the heck it was, but I'll take this, baby. Wilson, quick throw. And it's good. Intercepted. Intercepted. Oh, Malcolm Butler. Butler has it at the one. Malcolm Butler stepping in front of the throw. No way. you got to be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! It's gotta be one of the dumbest calls offensively in Super Bowl history. Oh! Again! Again! That's a twofer! It's time for two parting shots! Listen to that! Listen to that! Sponsored by no one. Oh, obviously we can obviously we sorry, I was stepping on Cantori there. Obviously we can change that though. It can be sponsored. Just hit us up. You're hearing us right now. You want to be a part of this wonderful show? Please send me a text or Jake, and we will make that happen. Boom! I got a couple things for you. Um, first, let's get to this text from Royce. We asked earlier what we thought Saban, or that we knew that Saban would bring an agenda to SC Media Days. Royce says, "I think Saban brings up NCAA bylaw eleven four four. That's the rule that says schools can't hire coaches as an analyst or strength coach." If they coach a prospective student athlete for two years before and two years after the prospective student athlete's enrollment, so that all that to say, a prominent Georgia high school coach brought it up at a seven-on-seven tournament Saturday because Tennessee coach Jeremy Pruitt would not have been hired at Alabama if this rule was in effect. Hmm. That's a good uh, good guess there. Another guess I have. Is about this uh, limiting the headsets. They're limiting the headsets on the sideline. And a good story came out. Well, actually, Matt Flynn joined off the bench, which is um, ESPN Radio and Baton Rouge. He joined them, and he said when he was a redshirt freshman in 2003, he wore a fake headset with a cord that went into his into his pants, <laughs> and was giving all kind of signals during that season. His headset didn't work. He was giving out fake signals all year just as a decoy. And so he told them, he said, when I heard about the, the headset rule, I was wondering if that was – if you could have fake headsets, which I assume you couldn't because then how do you know, you know, as a, as a, as a referee or an official, how do you know how many headsets are working and, and aren't working? So I would assume that you can't have fake headsets. But I thought that was funny that he told that story about how Jimbo Fisher – had him do that, and of course they were under Nick Saban. So uh, both Saban and Fisher had their own little tricks as far as headsets go. Some ULM fans would say Charlie Weatherby had a fake headset on the majority of his time. Oh, yikes. Yikes, yikes, yikes. Is All that right. not fair? No, nah, that's not fair, man. 
That's he did funny. take down Saban. It is funny. He did take down yeah. Saban. That's right. He's got that on his resume. Yeah, that's right. How many people can say that? I know. <laughs> really? I know. Really? How many people can say that? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, my other parting shot is MMA related. Sorry, Aaron. But Stipe Miocic, the former heavyweight champion who just lost to Daniel Cormier, he has now spoken about what transpired. Of course, we know that Daniel Cormier knocked him out in the first round, but the big news was Brock Lesnar came in. It was a bit of a circus. Lesnar shoved Cormier, and then they did their, their professional wrestling promos to try mm-hmm. to sell tickets. Miocic says it was a blank show, and it was disrespectful. I didn't think that was what the UFC was all about. I thought they were going to interview me after the fight, and I was going to ask for a rematch. When Brock came in, I said, I'm out of here. I don't need this circus. How can you give a guy a title shot who hasn't fought in over two years, is suspended, and his last fight is a no contest because he was taking PEDs? I want a title shot. I deserve it. Lesnar hasn't fought in how long for him to get a title shot. As I get thrown to the side, it just seems like they are desperate for pay-per-views. Makes a lot of great points. Of course, uh, you know, Lesnar defeated Mark Hunt at UFC 200 and then had to uh, – was was suspended because he popped. He, he was he tested bos- positive for that, which um, sparked a whole another lawsuit from Mark Hunt. He was suing the UFC saying they knew about it, and Lesnar d- had certain – didn't have certain limitations um, under USADA that, that most mostly everyone else has. And so he sued the UFC – Lesnar now is able to come back and, and do this simply because he's a big name and UFC doesn't have Connor or John Jones or Ronda Rousey, you name it, to kind of save the day and, and get, up, get those pay-per-view buys. All right, this probably should have been in our headlines. Le'Veon Bell could not reach an agreement oh, with the Oh, did we not Steelers. talk about that today? No, so wow. he, he will not. He's basically not giving them the hometown discount, even though they, they tagged him. So he's going to make, I think, $12.1 million mm-hmm. next year. So Bell tweets out to all my Steeler fans, my desire always has been to retire a Steeler. Both sides worked extremely hard today to make their, make that happen, but the NFL is a hard business at times. To the fans that had hoped, I'm sorry we let you down, but trust me, 2018 will be my best season to date. Well, he's going to have to have a big season if he wants to get the money that he wants. He's been asking, what, uh, $14.5 million. According to numerous reports, of course, the Steelers came back and offered him uh, close to $13 million, 13.3 on an average. But still, his sticking point was 14.5. They could not reach an agreement. The deadline is now passed. So that means he will play this year under a franchise tag, and then he will be a free agent next year. It can't be good for the locker room. It just can't be. When a guy is that disgruntled, and this has been going on for a long time, long time and he even threatened to retire at one point so yeah i just can't see this being a good thing for the steelers locker room because he can't be happy there but of course he does have to produce if he wants that big contract and i could make the argument so now over the what last year and this year i mean literally still made 26.62 million dollars with those franchise tags still if you're talking about 14 million dollars that that pales in comparison yeah, but he is going to be, I think, 27, and we know the shelf life of, of running course. backs in this league. Of course, I'm just saying, I'm just telling you from his his vantage point. Yeah. yeah, and then of course now you've got Steelers fans calling him greedy. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I just hate to see that situation because he's rolling the dice on himself. He is, but will there be a market out there next year for Bell at 14 and a half? Not 14 and a half, right? 
then he should have took the 13.3. I agree. I agree. He should have. But I think it's all a point of – I think it's ego at this point. I think it's I, – I think I deserve 14 and a half. I've been good to this organization. I want you all to be good to me back. But the NFL is a business. The NFL is not about mm-hmm. letting you retire with their team. Mm-hmm. Well, he said both sides worked extremely hard. Just couldn't make it happen. Yeah. Well, I mean, a million dollars is a lot of money. That, that was the separation between, you know. All right. Good show today. Well done. Yeah, yeah. We'll try to do it again tomorrow. We'll see talk what, a see little. See what sports, real sports actually do. When you get a little taste of real sports, <laughs> you come in here, you fire it up, you're ready to talk sports. Real Instead sports of, is here in Ed Orgeron at the podium. I'm, I'm talking about the home run derby. <laughs> but also, yeah, sports talk with the SEC media days. Yeah, it's got me fired up. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Ben Carlisle will join us as we'll talk a little uh, Louisiana Tech football, Dr. Saul Graves, and I'm sure we'll have some other tricks up our sleeve. Thanks for listening to the Morning Drive. The Edge is coming up. Thanks for listening to the best of the Morning Drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.